As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The worst moments, the spursy moments, the funny moments, they were all car crash moments of what has been an absolutely car crash season. There's no point in hiding behind that. Hello and welcome once again to a very special edition of The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, your host Danny Kelly, for the end-of-season bonanza, that's how we'll describe it, I think, are... And you'll be aware later on why I'm being so careful about getting the names right. Joining me are Jack Pittbrook, Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Hello, everybody. Hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. Hello, Danny. Thank you. I've got their names right at least once in this season. So I'm looking forward to hearing me not doing it a little later on. And welcome to you, all of our listeners as well. What will be um, the last podcast of this season. We'll have a little break and hopefully we'll be back in your ear holes at plenty of time for the start of next season. Now, on this episode, we'll be conducting our end-of-season review. We'll hand out some awards, some serious, some comic a little later on. And we'll also take a look back at some of the predictions from before the season started. If I remember rightly, I said Spurs are finished eighth. We'll see. I, I can't quite remember. All of this and plenty more to come here on The View from the Lane. I guess we, um, we should start with... The game at Leeds, not because it means anything or anything else, but because of the sheer novelty of it. Because, you know, whatever about the quality of the opposition, you could actually argue, uh, Jack, that um, Spurs actually played pretty well. A novelty. Uh, yeah, so it seems. I must admit, I didn't watch the game. We had Tim Spears there. But uh, I've seen the goals, so I, I've, I've done just enough work not to be a fraud. Um, and yeah, it seems like, I mean, the, the goals look good. Leeds are terrible. Like anyone who's watched them play on TV in the last few weeks knows how bad they are. They're post Bielsa. That's always a problem for every team yeah. he ever manages. Uh, the impression I got from the people who did actually bother to go, unlike me, is that they did actually Tottenham actually looked pretty good. I, because I live in the EU, saw the whole game and from the luxury of my own armchair, um, and they were pretty good. Leeds were hapless, and once they conceded so early to Kane, um, you could see the air go out of their team. Interesting that their fans, rather unlike those here at Everton, during the course of the game, chose not to really entirely get behind the team. They were just, it was even by the standards of White Hart Lane this season, it was pretty rebellious. 
Um, they're in South, in South Yorkshire. Um, but Spurs, you know, you can only beat what's put in front of you, James. And um, once again, we are grateful for the fact that um, Spurs have the just an, a genius up front because he was brilliant again. Yeah, I, I should say I also did see the whole game from uh, post Brexit Britain uh-huh. and legally, leg- legally, yeah, it was on TV here. Oh, was it? I so, beg yeah, your pardon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I people complaining it wasn't. They mustn't have, a, have subscriptions. I don't know. Yeah, I thought Spurs played fine. I mean, if you took that game in isolation in the middle of a season without the context of recent form, I think you'd be fairly enthusiastic about that. Uh, and you're right to mention Lee's defence, or sorry, Jack's right to mention Lee's defence, which was so bad. I mean, they were all over the place. I, I don't think there are quite a few good players in that Leeds squad, but the centre, the centre backs. I, I think they said this on uh, on Sky after all the games in the evening. The centre backs are so. They make so many individual mistakes. Like there doesn't seem to be any communication between them at all. And I don't know whether that's a coaching thing or, or, or the standard of the individuals, but they looked awful. And that was particularly evident with the first and second goals, which obviously completely killed the game. Uh, but it was good to see Spurs counterattack slightly more fluidly than they have done in recent months. That, that obviously, that was such a huge strength for this team last season and the season before. It kind of felt like that had fallen away quite a lot. But with Porro in the team. I mean, uh, me and Charlie were talking about this this morning. Uh, he scored three Premier League goals this season, and the season just gone. All really good finishes. And it does make you wonder, and I know a few people have said this already, like, uh, is his future at Spurs actually going to be as an attacking player rather than a defender? I think Charlie has quite strong opinions on this. He's kind of limbering up he to interject now. We could hear Charlie's knuckles cracking in the background there, couldn't we? It depends where you think he can play, but like it reminds me a bit of when David Luiz was at Chelsea and people were like, he's really good on the ball, he should play in midfield. It's a very different position. I, de- I definitely don't think Pedro Porro should play as a right-back, but I think his best position is right-wing-back. And I think attacking from deeper positions is a very different skill and in some ways an easier skill than playing as an out-and-out winger where you pick the ball up high, you've got full-backs smashing into you. It's just a very different skill. I think maybe he could, f- he could do it from time to time. In a counter-attacking team, though, if he was playing in a counter-attacking team, you look at where he picked the ball up, both for the first Kane goal and the goal he scored himself. He wasn't like picking the ball up too deep, I don't think, was he? And in a counter-attacking team, you'd kind of assume he would do that. So Maybe not where he's picking it up, but even where his runs are starting from. It's, it's different as an opposition left-back, you know, tra- tracking those runs as opposed to sitting on someone. But I think, it, I, I've written before, I think it'll be interesting what happens with Porro because... He is a wing-back. He's an out-and-out wing-back. So he played for Sporting, was really good and has looked good by and large when he's played there. But he can't play in a back four. Yeah, maybe he does get repurposed. But whoever is the new manager, it will be interesting to see what he does with him. Well, and far be it from me to already, and what will be three minutes into the podcast, disagree with everybody. I think he can play right full-back, but not in a team with two in midfield. With a three, you've got, you know, Kyle Walker has made a living... Um, now he's he's become a better defender. But when he was at Spurs, you know he he wasn't defending very very well, but he had a brilliant midfielder in front of him who knew how to cover for him and allow him to use that muscularity um, to get forward. And I think Poros is exactly the same. We'll talk about it a bit more later on. One of the, one of the few joys of this season, and it was uh, reiterated again um, at Ellen Road, is that because he scored so many goals, every goal that Kane gets now. Uh, breaks another record, doesn't it? I think. How many clubs did he score against this season? Twenty six. No, he scored against all but th- well in the league, all but three of the teams Spurs played: Bournemouth, West Ham, 
I think there was one other. So he scored against 16 out of 19 opponents. He scored a record number. Of, he's now scored on more last days of the season than anybody in English football history. Um, and I think he's the first player for a long time to have scored 30 goals twice in the Premier League. Yeah, so I, I actually I was looking this up earlier. If you start from when the Premier League went back to from twenty two to twenty teams, so, so at the start of the ninety five ninety six seasons, so that's over the last twenty seven seasons, people have only hit thirty league goals in a thirty eight game Premier League season ten times, and Kane is the only person to do that twice. Obviously, doing it in seventeen eighteen and twenty two twenty three. And the amazing thing is, in neither of those seasons did he win the Golden Boot. He obviously missed out to Salah in seventeen eighteen and then to Haaland this season. But yeah, nobody else. Has, only nine people have done it, and Kane's the only person to have done it twice in that time span. Are we going to get people telling us that football didn't start in nineteen ninety five? Yeah, I hope so. The thing is, if you introduce, if you count from the start of the Premier League, those first three seasons of twenty two, you've obviously got Cole and Shear, Andy Cole and Alan Shearer hit over thirty, but it's different in a forty two game season. So sort of cheating, that isn't it? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about, because of Haaland, about Dixie Dean, of course. People forget it was a 72-team Division 1 in those days when he got all those goals. People forget that completely. Listen, I, don't think, I think a lot of what I wanted to say about the Leeds match, we can say in the roundup of the season because... Um, Man United was the other team, incidentally, who came didn't score uh-huh. against. How interesting is that? They, so they know he's useless then, do they? Exactly, don't bother. <laughs> um we're going to spend a lot of time reviewing the season and some of these themes that was going to bring out the Leeds match. I say it was enjoyable because it was a novelty. It also made you bite your lips slightly and think, well, why? where was this against Bournemouth? Where was this against Southampton, etc.? Of course, the, the, the truth of that is somewhat is that Leeds um, were a mess of a team, um, more so than, than even Spurs have been. So it, it, it got like that. Um, what I want to do now is because, of course, this podcast majors on us all being right about everything all the time, is to look back um, at the start of the season um, when we were all rather more optimistic, it turns out, than than it necessarily was going to be in the course of the nine months. What our producer has done, and with infinite cruelty, I think it's fair to say, he has compiled some of the bold calls that we made back in August of 2022. Listen to this. would constitute a successful season for Spurs coming up. Um, there's another way of, re- of phrasing this. Will this podcast win an award before Spurs win a trophy? <laughs> I think that'll be really good. Their target for me should be, can they get the, the famous 86-point mark set by Pochettino's team in 16-17? But I think, they can, I think they can do that. I'm very optimistic that Spurs will be good. I, it would take something insane to not be in the Champions League again. Almiron straight into the thick of it. It falls from Wilson. The two substitutes combine seconds after their introduction to hit a sixth for Newcastle United. Where will Spurs finish? At the moment, I would say third. Jack? Third. Charlie? Third. Okay, I've got more I've got more fear of Chelsea than I thought I had. Fourth. Okay. Will Spurs finish above Arsenal, everybody? Yes. Yes. I'll go with yes. I'll say yes. Yeah, I'll say yes. <laughs> Who will be the best of the so far six news signings? James. Uh, Richarlison Perisic is going to get 10 goals Basuma For me it'll be Perisic because he's the best player among them though I, do, I mean, I'm not allowed two choices Richarlison Will Conte sign a new contract between now and the end of the season one word answer start with oh. me uh, yes but why yes come on come on come on 
It's very difficult to do in one word. Uh, uh, this is unacceptable for me. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, this will be the story that dominates the second half of the season. And I think it is likelier than not that he will end up signing a new deal. But I don't think he'll make it easy. Another alibi. You try to find alibi. I'll go yes, but it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, and, and very that, hard to call that one. No, no, let, let, let's have it right. If... If he has not signed a new contract by the by the t- time the World Cup comes round, not only it, will it become, as you say, an obsession uh, for people in the media, but it, it, it threatens to undermine everything. I'll leave you. I thought, of course, that I was right about that. But also, I was closest in the predictions for the league spots with fourth. Yes? You were the closest. <laughs> you were yeah. The closest. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jack, they were, what, 26 points off that Magic 86 point mark in my bullshit defense i'd say <laughs> i didn't predict that they would get 86 i think i said that they could get 86 if, I, if you really push me for a prediction i would still have been miles off if you put me if you push me for an honest prediction i would have said 84 high seven yeah probably <laughs> they should be aiming for 86 but i think 60 I, I can't believe i said i can't believe i said third having spent the whole summer saying they hadn't strengthened the team having made such a point of insisting that they had only really kind of strengthened the bench. I can't believe you I were right, said, and then you screwed yeah. it up. You didn't have, you yeah. couldn't follow through on the, the correctness of your. So you must your... have thought then that they would have won it had they strengthened their first team. A little oh bit. yeah, clearly. Well, it's 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 you know we have to take our lumps. We're very good at saying uh, uh, walking around with our puffed out chest, saying we've won awards and things like that. Um, that was pretty bad, but I don't think um, many people could blame us because anybody who says they could see this coming. All right, I wouldn't say that they're bonkers because, you know, there have been odd things going on at Spurs for a couple of years now. Um, but we were we ended the season so well last year. And, of course, because Arsenal fell away, pipped them for that Champions League place, it's almost impossible to believe that it's only a year ago that all that was going on. It's weird, isn't it? Because so much of the, like, some of the stuff that went wrong this season, I think, you could have seen coming and maybe we should have seen coming like the, the Conte contract being the obvious thing, the lack of improvements on the first team over the summer window, the potential disruptive effect of the world cup. Although of course that impacts everyone else. The it, the impact of having to play two games a week, which they didn't have to do in the second half of last season, which I think was a big thing, a big thing too. So some of those structures, some of those like structural forces you could see around the corner, but Nobody, I think, I think it, I can't, nobody that I've ever spoken to predicted at the start of the season that they would get this much worse, that they would finish with what, 60 points, eighth place. You know, this this season, Spurs conceded 1.66 goals per league game. The last time they could, the lot like that is the last time they had a defensive record that bad was in 1976-77 season where they conceded 72 goals in 42 league games and they finished bottom. Like they haven't conceded that Hello, many goals Don McAllister, since then. Terry Naylor. Yeah, I was there. And no, and that's the kind of thing that nobody would have seen coming. It was the first time a team had scored and conceded over 60 goals since Spurs in 2007-2008. How are we not everyone's second favourite team? They're great entertainers. If you want to really make yourself feel bad and frightened about the closed season, um, what we are is Leeds without Patrick Bamford. Um, because we got Kane, who can concede 1.6 goals a game and still win the occasional football match. Um, Leeds, of course, no disrespect to Patrick, he's a good technical footballer, but um, he couldn't hit um, a banjo with a barn door, could he? Let's be honest. To leap to the defence of several Tottenham players, including Richarlison, uh, I-, I would say that even Spurs struggling centre-backs are better than Leeds centre-backs. And 
if you took out Kane and put Richarlison in, I think they'd be all right. That, you know, I'm not suggesting they walked into top four, but I think that they'd be a okay. proud, proud boast. They'd be better than Leeds this season. Maybe, no messing. <laughs> maybe this is going to come back to haunt me at our end of next season's uh, montage. From should be getting 86 points to we're better than Leeds. Fuck off. <laughs> I want to get on to the second half very quickly. So let me just finish this first half by having proven there what great prognosticators we are. Um, a little, a little prediction from each of you about what you think is going to happen in the next six weeks. Um, because it's, I mean, it's pointless. I know you could say the next six days with Tottenham, um, but uh, James, you, you, you're the one who, who who's uh, usually right about things. At least that's what you tell me. Next six weeks, will Spurs a have a new manager, b have a new director of football, c have sorted out the squad? Yes to one, yes to two, but not yes to three. I mean, they may have started in their minds moving in that direction, but uh, there's no way they're going to have resolved all the problems in that time. Okay, does, just before I ask the other two about it, does anybody have any further updates on the manager? We ran a story over the weekend looking at the current situation. Clearly, Slot's now out of the picture. So um, I think Ange Postacoglu has some momentum as a, you know, I think he, he ticks quite a lot of the boxes, I think, for Spurs. Obviously, lack of experience in any of Europe's top five leagues. Although Celtic have got the Scottish Cup final against, I think, think it's against Inverness on the 3rd of June, so wouldn't expect any movement on him before then. In the piece, I make reference to the kind of growing possibility of a move back for Graham Potter, uh, who's someone who Tottenham had a good look at two years ago uh, when they eventually gave Nuno the job. He's clearly been out of work since he got sat by Chelsea in September. Title winning. I think you need to refer him as title winning Nuno now, don't you? Title winning Nuno, yeah. But so I think but it feels, I mean, my impression is that it kind of feels like it's quite a right moment for new candidates to to push themselves forward. I mean, it could, it's either going to be, I mean, this is not a helpful answer at all, but of the kind of original candidates, you've got Luis Enrique and Postacoglu in the mix, and then I think poss- possibly a rising sense of, of Potter. And then beyond that, I mean, it's a case of whether or not anybody else can push their name into the frame. It should be my guy Gallardo, right? My side Gallardo. Mm-hmm. He's won the league with River and run, won the Libertadores. Just get it done. Just, it, just be interesting. It would just be more interesting than like some guy who's done fine in the Premier League, which is just what Nuno did, right? And I'm not suggesting Potter or Silva would be exactly the same as Nuno, but I kind of feel like you have a broad idea of what you're going to get for good and for bad. But let's let's roll the dice and get this guy in. He seems... Uh, Jack Lang at The Athletic's done a really good interview with him where he's basically like laid out his entire football philosophy, his coaching philosophy. And look, obviously, this is an interview he's done to kind of tout himself for jobs in Europe a bit. So, you know, you obviously have to take it with a pinch of salt. But but for the things he lays out, the things he says, the way he says he wants his team to be, and Jack remembers the exact terminology, but he wants his team to be the protagonist. He wants his team to go out on the front foot and dominate the game and be in control of the game and not just sit there waiting to concede goals and be beaten like Spurs have done for most of the last, what, three years, four years. So all of that, Sounds great. I'm entirely sold on him for no other reason other than this interview. That that is it. The te- the team that just pips Spurs to seventh. Emery always talks about being the protagonist, uh, and they've shown the benefits of playing on the front foot. Just two things I would say. One is I do. I've said this to Jack. I do think there is a decent chance, as he was saying there, that the end of the season will herald a whole lot of change and new people potentially coming into the mix whose situations there's a bit more clarity on there Tottenham situation there might be a bit more clarity on and on just on the roll the dice thing I do think Spurs are in quite an interesting point right now because I'm I'm doing peace looking at the impact of not getting into Europe 
for them. And speaking to a few people, there is this sense of it's sort of okay to do that for one year. You might be able to get away with it. You really don't want that becoming more than a one-off because it's very damaging financially for prestige etc and i was making the point it will be what three years out of four as of next season they happen in the champions league and that's a big concern so as much as yes it is the time to roll the dice in a way they also do need to start getting back into europe and making and the and idea of the champions league and making sure this season is just a weird freaky one-off because a lot of people will be worrying it isn't okay uh, uh charlie i'll ask you the same question i mean jack's kind of half answered it as well um, what 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 Spurs is going to do in the next six weeks? They've got to get this sorted out. Yeah, by then I'm sure they'll have both the manager and well, certainly the manager, and I would think that the director of football as well, even if it's not an easy position to appoint for necessarily. And then on the squad, I mean, last season was the anomaly really. By that point, they had actually done a lot of their business, but that was pretty unusual. I um. I don't expect they'll be that far along by mid-July. And I do also think, and especially with not being in Europe, they've got to sell so many players. That's going to be, I think that's going to be a big part of the transfer story for Spurs this summer. Because, um, you know, without Europe, in theory, you need, don't need such a deep squad. And they've got, so, they've got lots of players coming back. I just don't know how they're going to get rid of all of them. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane. As you know, the award-winning twice-weekly Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook and Tim Spears. A spear, rather. Tim Spear, the... Um, Spears, well, People are calling Spears with an S. All right, I'm going to do that again. It's been five months. I'll do that again. Been listening to me, Danny Kelly, Tim Moore and Jack Pitbrook. Tim Moore. I did it, did it again. I've Tim got all- Moore. I know. Tim Moore. Do you know what? And what's worse, James? I've actually got it written down as Tim Moore. I'll do that again. I'm your host, Danny Kelly. Alongside me today, stalwart from the Athletic, of course, James May. What? No, you can't fucking get my name wrong in front of a guest. I know. I always do it. Yeah, I know. 
I think this fire alarm is real. Like I can see people putting on those yellow jackets and stuff. Right, so I, I think right. I'm actually going to have to go this, because the, the, it makes it impossible. And this is what I expected Spurs to fight back. I'm not suggesting they've set fire to the Athletic, but... This is Jack, incredible listen, timing. go, man. Be safe. Good luck. Let's crack on. But can I just say, in an even more amazing parallel with Tottenham, Jack has sort of closed his computer, but leaving open a little black notebook in echoes yeah. of the Paratigy black book. No, it's dreadful. It's, it, is, it is dreadful. It is utterly awful. It's a, it's a, that statistic I've just read out, this situation, honestly, it's just, it's, it's, it just says so much about the way the club has been run in the last Fact, there is like a third party. Sorry, I was actually, no I was actually WhatsApping then. Charlie. What, what's the question? What? <laughs> yeah, no, I was genuinely WhatsApping Charlie. Hi, Charlie. How are you doing, mate? We, yeah, we, they're going on about Harry we, Kane we, We're going to go get some coffee later. <laughs> we're not, actually. I'd, that'd be, that'd oh, be disaster. A day, I'm not going for coffee with Charlie today. Why? Bah, I don't know, because they are used here. They are used here. Don't play for... Uh, for uh, for something important. Yeah. When he is gone and the toxicity of his reign follows him out the door, we, the fans, will still be there. We, the view from the lane, will still be there. And we, Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, will still be there. And he will gradually diminish into the horizon as a person lost in our history. And hopefully Spurs will continue under somebody who better understands the club, better loves the club and wants to play some decent football. You've been listening to The View from the Lane. Arrivederci. I'm no doctor, but I suspect I have got um, non-mania or something like that um, because recently... Um, over on Talk Sport, when they do that um, clips of the week, because I was presenting H and J, they did fifteen minutes of my clips of the week, which were all me misnaming people who weren't in the room. When I'm in the room with people, it doesn't seem to be a problem. The second they're on the end of a line or on a screen like this, I just can't seem to do it. Um, but I'm making no excuses for it. It was all terribly unprofessional and probably stopped us winning any. Oh, it didn't stop us winning any awards. Okay, that's good. Um, that was great. Um, I still think my highlight was uh, second place, Jack and Charlie continuing their bromance, even though one of them's on the podcast. But obviously the fire alarm, Jack, because it soon became very clear to you that it was probably serious and, um, you know, you didn't want to get toasted. It wasn't serious. Well, I mean, it, it might have been serious elsewhere in the building, but I didn't see any actual fire. No, but, but I could see at first you were, you were being very nonchalant about it and suddenly it kept going. The show must go on. Can I just say to listeners that the um, obviously there are some uh, like text message tones on that when I was caught WhatsApping Charlie. I don't have <laughs> annoying tones on my phone. They've obviously been produced. <laughs> wow. I just wanted to make clear that I'm not a someone. A glimpse behind the curtain. He's saying daylight in on magic now, isn't he? Well, that's not. Yeah, right. I just want to make. I just want to make clear that I don't have annoying <laughs> tones on my phone. Why do you want to make that clear? Why do you think anyone cares? Because I, I not. It's like having an annoying ringtone. Like it's like you're a. You know, grandparents or something. <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, let's move on. I'm delighted to say to our end of season awards, they're not really awards, just our opinions about things. There's a lot of these and there's four of us. We'll try and get through them as entertainingly as we can. Um, in, any, in, in most cases, they, they tell a story um, of, uh, 
of, of, you know, how the season has gone. And I'm going to rotate through who goes first because it's always annoying um, if you do it in the same order each time because, uh, you know, all the good jokes have been made by the time it gets round to you. It's like being at school, isn't it? All right. First, the first few questions are pretty standard. The welcome then to the Tottenham Hotspur Vuitton Lane End of Season Awards. The first award is the uh, non-Harry Kane Player of the Season. And I'm going to start with James because he is our resident Spurs fan. Who's your non-Harry Kane player of the season? I, I can only see, and I suspect there will be a degree of repetition here, Rodrigo Benzinka. He's the one. I, I mean, I think we all knew when he got injured it was going to be a massive problem. Uh, or the second time he got injured, I should say, get at Leicester. Uh, I, I, and you can more or less draw a line between the part of the season where Spurs were not playing great, but doing enough to just about keep a foothold in a game and win more often than they lost. Uh, to, and the part of the season where Spurs were absolutely dreadful for bloody ages. And that is more or less the point at which he got injured. So uh, I think he was really good and he scored quite a few goals. He saw kind of a side of his game I didn't think, or I didn't necessarily expect when he first signed. Uh, obviously, you know, we have to hope he's back as soon as possible and that when he is back, he's somewhere near or at that level. Because uh, he potentially could be such a huge player for Spurs in the next few years. Jack, I don't think you disagree. I think your player of the season is, is Benson Kerr as well. Non-Kane player of the season. Yeah, I mean, I thought about doing a banter answer like Dan Juma, but it just has to be Benson Kerr, which is amazing, really, because he, you know, he, he, barely, he played for, started five games after the World Cup. I think if you ranked all Tottenham players by minutes played in all competitions, he's 11th or 12th. Like Emerson played more minutes than him in all competitions this season, but it's, it's just clearly him. It's clearly Benson Kerr. Yep, no, no dispute. I, I went Benzinger as well. I've gone for Pedro Porro, and it's not a banter answer. Um, I've gone for Pedro Porro because I thought he's starting to show some hope for what Spurs can be in the future. Um, I, because I'm forced to watch a lot of European football, I thought he was brilliant at sporting, albeit in a in straightforward wing-back position. Um, but and I, I think he can play anywhere on the right-hand side. And I think his, his combination of muscularity, and he also enjoys the game. He enjoys getting involved with the game. He enjoys the physicality of it. He enjoys the speed of the game. I mean, that can be a little bit... Um, it gets translated as indiscipline when he's, when he's the last man. I get that. Um, and as you say earlier on the show, he's already scored three belting goals because his first instinct is to put his laces through the ball. Um, and I've, I've, I've always thought that in a world where goal scoring is so difficult, somebody who, who fancies himself at it has got every chance... Um, he, he looked. He looked. He looked all at sea, didn't he? And of course, he got the blame at Newcastle. But I, 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 th- I think he's going to be a great player for Spurs. I really do. And he could be the first player we spent more than twenty grand, no, 20, 20 million on, who might be an actual no thirty million, and be an actual success. It would be very good. What I would say is, if you're factoring in performances for other clubs, you might as well give it to like Mbappe or someone. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of that. That is the kind of um, deflatory um, misery I expect from you. To be honest. Um, Mbappe hasn't played for Spurs. Don't be, don't be silly. You're silly. You give Billy. it to Romero on the basis of his performances for Argentina. That, that, that's a good shout. <laughs> don't be a silly Billy. We don't need that. All right, let's move on then to our surprise player of the year. Um, I'm beginning to see a pattern here. Um, i.e., you lot all agree with each other, and I don't. Jack, who have you got for your um, your your surprise player of the year? Emerson Royale, who has take, took quite a lot of stick from the crowd at the first half of the season and had to 
compete with, you know, at the start of the season, it felt like Doherty was ahead of him based on last season. Um, obviously, they, they signed Porro as well in January. And yet it was actually immediately Jed after Spence. they signed Porro. And Spence, of course, as well. And yet Emerson played as well as anyone in that position. Clearly has his limitations going forward, although I think he's getting better. I think he's a very good defender. You know, he, he pushed himself into a different position, playing right in the back three, finished the season playing on the right of a, sorry, on the right of the back four as well. So he's adaptable. And um yeah, I just think I think overall he's been solid but unspectacular. Uh he's never really let himself down, which is not you know, you can't say that about most of the Tottenham players this season. And he's reacted well to getting a lot of shit from the fans. So he's my he's my surprise player of the season. Yeah, I had Emerson Royale as well, but mainly I mean I I've always thought he's a good defender. I've said I thought he could play right centre back and he's a good right back, but it was more that he was able to adapt and was actually quite good as an attacking wing back for that brief period to be fair but still when Poro came in and he scored those goals that one against West Ham that was a, a brilliant finish um, so I think yeah his ability to adapt and rebound from the disappointments he's had uh, has been very impressive and yeah there haven't been many over performers but I'd say he has been one this season yeah I mean uh, I, I don't want to go last each time so I will say that um, I, I put for my surprise player of the season that child who came on after 77 minutes against Leeds I have no idea who this lad is. Um, I got it written down here. Was he called Matthew Craig? Yeah, and he had a twin brother as well who played for Spurs, Michael Craig. Okay, uh, well, see, you've done your homework. This is very good. But I was genuinely surprised. They're now bringing on people I've never heard of. And I keep a pretty close eye on Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And then to compound it, they brought on for the last minute um, a, per- a person who made Matthew Craig look like a veteran of the first team. Also making his debut. I realise, I totally get that this is Ryan Mason sending messages to the board. Look, I can bring in through the young players as well. Look at me, watch me do it. Um, but just, you know, I, I, I hear about Emerson Royal, but when we're saying um, the surprise player is the one who didn't mess himself in public um, this season, um, I'm just as interested that they, 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 he, Ryan used this moment I presume it was a coded message to, to Daniel Levy that there are good players at the club who are not getting a chance. Um, James, you've gone for your surprise of the season and it's no surprise. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've gone for Emerson Royal as well for the reasons that Jack and Charlie uh, underlined. Uh, I think he's kind of bounced back well from the criticism, including criticism on his podcast, which should acknowledge as well. Uh, just to say, on George Abbott, who was the kid who came on right at the end of the game on Sunday, he was born after Aaron Lennon joined Spurs, which... Seems mad. Okay, that was. See, Dave, you've also done a bit of research. That's good. I like. I like this. This is why the podcast is so popular with people. Now, I think perhaps the most open field of all these awards, um, we go for our Spurs player that most disappointed this season. Charlie, you have the um, the honour of the open field here from the vast phalanx of possible candidates. Who would you choose? I really. <laughs> I really struggled to narrow it down to one. To pick one, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's Romero, Kudelski, Perisic, Richarlison. I think Son Son did disappoint loads, but at least has like goodwill, a lot of goodwill, and lots of really good season. I would make it for me between Romero and Kudelski because I think they were off the levels they were last season. I'll go Romero because I think he like Kudelski had some decent moments. Um, Romero had some decent moments they just weren't really for Tottenham and I think after last season it looked like he might step up off the back of a season that, was, that wasn't that was conclusive like he missed a, bit, a lot of it through injury but when he did play 
Uh, he seemed like he might be a cut above the rest of the defenders, but actually it was just, he just never really got going. The fact that Spurs bought a load of players in the summer when we, the supporters, were crying for them to buy um, a load of players in the summer and that essentially not one of them was given a chance under Antonio Conte is the biggest disappointment of the season for me. Um, the way he treated Basuma before his injury, the way he treated Richarlison, admittedly it's sometimes hard to get into a team that has Son and Kane in it, and the way he de- dealt with Jed Spence publicly washing his hands of him before he, I think before he'd made his debut and made the famous comment about club signings, didn't he? Absolute disgrace. And I'm sorry, when you're, you're Antonio Conte is not a PLC. At that moment, he is an employee of the institution. You cannot be going around saying those things. And the upshot was, I don't think, with perhaps the ex- ex- exception of Perisic, I don't think any of the new signings were given a proper chance. And I hope it doesn't affect their careers at Spurs. And I hope that a new person, whoever comes in, takes up the reins, looks at that group and says, actually, you know what? He's not the worst player. I'll have a go with him. Um, who's your disappointment of the season? Who? How, how does this run? Um, it's James next. Yes. Well, I mean, you mentioned Perisic there as having had a decent crack of the whip. And, you know, there are a few good moments in the first half of the season. I think mean, you've got a decent number of assists in the first half of the season, both, you know, we talked a lot about how good his delivery was uh, from set pieces and from open play as well. But his performance has completely gone off a cliff since the World Cup. And, you know, maybe to an extent that's understandable. But yeah, I, I just don't think we've seen him kind of look like the senior pro. Like he didn't ever look like a kind of leader in the group. And maybe that's a bit unfair to kind of project that when you don't really know what's happening in the in the dressing room or on the training ground. But out on the pitch... It didn't, it didn't look like he was kind of, you know, when things were going badly, he certainly didn't seem like he kind of w- was giving any more. In fact, if anything, that seemed to be when his form got even worse. You know, when, when Conte was clearly unravelling and then left, Perisic's form, you know, this, this completely went. I, I, and, I don't know, maybe that's at least partly down to his age or the fact that he's playing in a struggling team or playing in a position that isn't particularly forgiven when you, forgiving when you've gone to the World Cup in the middle of the season. But, yeah, uh, there have been so few great or good moments from him this season. But, you know, to play on 200 grand a week or whatever it is, uh, it, it, that, it says quite a lot that you can be a free transfer and still maybe look like a bit of a waste of money. And I think um, he's probably gravitating towards that. Who's your big disappointment of the season, Jack? Well, I couldn't make my mind up, but I feel like we've covered off the bad signings quite well on here. Uh, and also Charlie said Romero and Kulisevsky. So I'm going to say the biggest disappointment, actually, now I think about it, was the way that so many of the senior players from last season just were really bad this season. And I mean specifically Lloris, Son, Dyer, and Hoybjerg, all of whom I thought were to varying degrees very, very good last year um, and really integral to, you know, the, the, the Spurs' form in the second half of last season wasn't just Kane, it wasn't even just Kulosevsky, Bentecourt and Romero either. Those guys were all really important. And they were all really poor all season. And I know that, you know, it, they have to take some responsibility for that. I think a lot of the responsibility goes on Conte, who I don't think ever really looked like rescuing the form of any of those four players in particular, uh, or just the, the general bad vibes around the place. But um, yeah, it's made it much harder for everyone else. And I think it's very easy to fall back on comparisons between this Spurs season and um, 2020-2021. But 
in 20, I think Kane has had far much more to do this season than he did two years ago. And that is largely because the other senior players have deserted him. Which takes us to the more joyful thing, really. I mean, we've made the point, Spurs have conceded a shed load, load of goals this season. But they also, by definition, because they finished in the top half of the table, have scored a load of goals as well. Chance for us to choose our goal of the season. Um, I mean, obviously, Lucas Moura's swan song. I'll get on to that a little later. But um, uh, my, my goal of the season was Harry Kane's record breaker. When he broke Jimmy Greaves' record, um, I, you know, I was very emotional about it here on the podcast. The fact of the matter is that having watched both of them play, I'm one of those people who is not lucky enough to be old enough, but just old enough um, to have seen both of them doing it and to have what was an immovable in my mind that Jimmy Greaves will always, until I'm long since um, confined to my Viking funeral uh, on the River Nore, um, that uh, Jimmy Greaves will still be Spurs' all-time record scorer. For that to change and to watch virtually, well, certainly on television, but often live as well, watch every one of those goals going in. So... Whether it had been off his backside or whether it had been a worldie, it didn't matter to me. The goal where Harry broke Jimmy Greaves' record, my goal of the season by a mile, um, I think I cried, but I'm inclined towards a certain amount of lacrimosity, shall we say. Um, James, who is, what's your goal of the season? Uh, factoring in context, a slightly different type of context. There weren't really that many like big goals in big moments for Spurs for kind of obvious reasons. So I, I'd go with Hoiberg at Marseille. Just because that felt like, you know, a dramatic injury time winning goal away from home to win the Champions League group, uh, which at that point obviously we thought would kind of set us up for a better chance of a run in the competition in the second half of the season. Obviously, that didn't materialise. But that's probably, pro- uh, that came moment aside, I guess, probably as close as we came this season to like a, a kind of copper bottoms all time great moment, I think. Yeah, that, that, that's perfectly fair. It was very, very exciting, particularly as it's one of those goals, and point, this is not an original thought, that you know something tells you from about th- three seconds out, oh, they're going to score here, aren't they? And that lovely moment when you know if, if everybody does their thing now, they're going to score, and he did. It's a very good take, by the way, by Hoiberg, uh, not his speciality. Uh, Jack, what's your, um, what's your goal of the season? So the two I've got written down here were... Uh, Harry Kane's header at Brentford on Boxing Day, uh, which I thought was really good. And also, uh, I th- this might be just because it happened recently and I've got a bad memory. Uh, Kane's, Kane's goal at Anfield a few weeks ago, where he hits that, I think Skip plays a really good pass down the line to, for Perisic, who then crossed the ball back in. And Kane makes that very difficult volley look very easy. Uh, so those are the two that stood out to me, but I'm sh- I can't I can't trying to think of the others that I've missed or well, Son, Son got an absolute belter against Brighton, didn't he? For instance, yeah, that was good. I went with Kane's one against Brentford, um, just because I know it wasn't a direct free kick, but just for the novelty value of Kane scoring, sort of a free kick. His goal against Fulham away was also brilliant in a game where Spurs had done very little, and then Kane won it. Brilliant! That was such a good goal. That goal, just elite, elite forward player I, I, uh, my, my experience of the Brentford goal uh, for some reason I got distracted as they're about to take the free kick looked up and the, and the goalkeeper was watching the ball hit the net I thought oh my god he scored direct for a free kick it's only when I saw the replays I realised that uh, there'd been a touch on the ball um, next up and boy there could be some slim pickings here best moment of the season I think we're back round to uh, James 
uh, going first here. Best moment of the season? On the form that we filled in beforehand, I've said the final whistle at Leeds. Uh-huh. Uh, which was kind of a jokey answer, but actually, like, I'm really struggling to think of, you know, obviously you mentioned that Hoiberg thing, which was which was great in the moment. But once you kind of sew in the context of what happened next, yeah, there's not there's not a lot there, is there? I, I'm very glad it's over. Yeah, we should be pretending, of course. What about you, Jack? Can you can you pull something, a strand of light from the gloom? Uh, so the two things I've got written down here are Hoiberg's last-minute winner in Marseille, which was a great moment, and, like, the kind of moment that, that make you know that's what being in these European competitions is all about, really. And also Kane breaking the record, which I think is probably the only thing that people will remember, the only good thing that people will remember from yeah, this season. Yeah. In, that's quite a big in ten or twenty years time. Yeah, I was about to say that, and I thought, oh no, actually, what about all the, all the bad stuff? Will echo on through the ages. But in terms of the good things, it's it's got to be Kane's record. I think I had yeah, Kane breaking Greaves's record. That that's to me far and away that that will stand the test of time. That felt very special. It's got to be that one. And it's kind of a reflection on, on life in the present day that is my um, moment of the season. I really am I'm annoyed with myself for letting myself get into this state, but I, I allowed myself to get into a personal psycho battle with Antonio Conte. Now, of course, it's an extremely one-sided battle because he doesn't have a fucking clue who I am, right? Um, but I have this platform and other platforms, and I was really fed up with him by the end of it. I really was. I thought his behavior was not just, and I kept in in mind all that happened to him with the deaths of friends and his own illness. But I thought for the last seven or eight months of his time, I suppose his behavior was abominable. And you just cannot behave like that when you know that your behavior, you know, is affecting not just Daniel Levy, who you're making these messages to, but thousands and tens of thousands of people who are relying on you to be part of the solution not the actual emerging problem. So my best moment of the season was when, I mean, he, he wasn't really sacked. There wasn't a moment when somebody walked into a room brandishing a P45 or whatever electronic equivalent you have these days. He just stayed in Italy. He went to Italy after the disaster at Southampton and he just stayed there. Now that's me, it's personal, but isn't that how in the end we all deal with our relationships with football clubs that we love? It does become personal. And I'm sorry if at times I said things about him that um, I probably wouldn't say to his face if I'm truthful. But overall, I was just very glad when he got on his bike. And that was a bleak little section, wasn't it? That was our best moments of the season. Goodness. Um, Jack, worst moment of, the, of this terrible season for Spurs? I think it kind of has to be Newcastle because Newcastle was the worst I think I said on the pod it's the worst I've ever seen the worst performance I've ever seen from any football team particularly for those first 22 minutes where they conceded five goals um, with an honourable mention for the team selection at Sheffield United a few weeks before uh, not playing Kane Kulisewski and Romero for a, a winnable FA Cup match which I think was really the sort of turning point for Conte's relationship with the fans I mean I, I could come up with 20 reasons with 20 if but obviously we've got time limits and there's other people on the podcast too so I'll stick with two Charlie worst moment of the season I mean I know our best moments of the season sounded like the worst moments of the season these are the actual bleak moments of the season yeah, I had um, the going 5-0 down after 20 minutes at Newcastle, but also I mentioned, because it hasn't, because Jack didn't there, is the Sanchez booing against Bournemouth. Because not only was that so bleak in and of itself, but also it just felt symptomatic of, yeah, a set of fans in a club at just the end of their patience. And I just, you know, it, it, was, just, I, I, it was just a sad, dispiriting thing to happen and a whole afternoon. Yeah. Um, I, incidentally... 
I want to pay a little bit of props and tribute to Davidson Sanchez. He had to play the last couple of games in an unfamiliar defensive system um, from his time, recent time at Spurs, and who um, no one's he's, he's never going to be Baresi, is he? Um, but he did okay at Leeds, and I uh, felt good, good for him because what happened to him that day, you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. And of course, I understand everybody's allowed to boo if they want to. It's a free country. Just be careful about what it is you think you're booing and the effect it might have on the player. What good is he going to do? Um, my my worst moment of the season was the Bournemouth winner at, at the Spurs Stadium because that was the first time I think I, I'd had anger and I'd had... Um, and you know all kinds of responses, confusion. That one just left me frustrated beyond belief. And afterwards, um, I've, I try to analyze my feelings, and it's just. And I, I know this has been echoed by other Spurs fans and season ticket holders and all the rest of it. I just gave up. I gave up hope that, 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 that I thought. I always think things can be sorted out. Um, and I know that's not true. There are some problems that are insoluble, but I always think they're going to get sorted out. But when that late winner went in. I thought, this is not going to get sorted, is it? It went in. I swore very bitterly. And then I realized I hardly cared because the thing was so far gone. Um, James, what's your what's your worst moment of the season? Uh, yeah, Sheffield United. I mean, Jack mentioned before uh, that team selection was just a complete shambles. And it probably tallies with what, I kind of suspect is a, a kind of culture of acceptance of not really winning trophies or, or, or not winning trophies or not really being that fussed about not winning trophies. Uh, I, I can kind of understand it not being a top priority behind the Champions League and qualifying for the Champions League again the next season. But to play that team, to, to turn play the way they played was pathetic, even when they did start to bring the, the kind of... Uh, ostensibly better players into the team in the second half and to then like play the way they played in the next league game which I think was Wolves away and then in the Champions League in the second leg against Milan where like you know that they barely even tried to to lay a glove on them and you know obviously made that stupid defensive substitution at the end uh that that week I guess you could maybe pad it out to be but that that completely the the kind of lingering faith I had in Antonio Conte and the club higher up than that, I guess, as well, uh, was kind of completely eroded away there. And that was obviously the moment I decided to take my little break. The funniest moment of the season. Whose go is it to go first? I think it was a, cl- a quite like club update from Daniel. Being the way that the, <laughs> being the way that Tottenham sold the news that Stellini was being sacked. I mean, normally. Coy's Daniel. Yeah, Coy's Daniel was good. When Nuno was sacked, it was club announcement. When Conte went, it was club announcement. Um, when Paratu resigned, it was club statement. But I think nobody could have expected club update from Daniel to be the way to announce Stellini. Uh, who? I mean, I, I mean, I do know who he is, but who does he think he is? On, honestly, in that moment, with the whole thing unraveling, to put out a statement like that, uh, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, your funniest moment, Charlie? Oh well, the rant, the Conte rant was very, very funny. The whole thing—I mean, just how ludicrous it was. Some of the things he said, <laughs> particularly the, the players, was just how high pitched. You know, I can't even get that high. Uh, so yeah, I'd go Conte's rant and particularly that bit. 
I didn't find it funny, but, you know, that's a, a different senses of humour, I guess. Uh, mine is, and this is extraordinary, to think how much water is under the bridge. I had to check that it was during this season. Conte and Tuchel on the touchline doing their dance together. Um, it couldn't have got any funnier. Two of the modern egomaniacs of the game, giving it plenty. Um, and neither of them are aware that within weeks they would both be on their bike ski um, but given it that strange handshake dance thing, I loved it. And I also liked all the memes that people made out of it and much else besides. James, you, you'll end our funniest moments for a section. Yeah, I think this is the best of all, really. I, I, I cannot see any way in which, and this has made me laugh a lot in the last couple of weeks, I cannot see any way in which Arsenal did not bottle the title. Uh, and look, I, I'm not suggesting that they have underachieved this season. Obviously, they've they've massively overachieved. They've done incredibly well, and uh, I'm, they can and should be incredibly optimistic. They should be incredibly optimistic for the future. But they were top of the league for eighty percent of the season, or whatever it was. They were miles ahead in in real terms. It, it's kind of irrelevant how good Man City are, because if Arsenal had beaten West Ham, Southampton, Brighton. They would have won the Premier League. You know, it doesn't matter that Man City won 13 games in a row, whatever it was at the end of the season. If Arsenal had beaten teams they should have beaten, they would have won the league. And the moment it was there at Anfield, where the atmosphere changed, despite Arteta's fantastic preparation for that game at Anfield last season with the speaker system at the training ground, the second that Liverpool fans actually turned up in that game, they completely wilted. And then the same thing happened again the next week at West Ham. And then, you know, they're dropping points against uh, Southampton and uh, Brighton and whatever else at home. And look, uh, and that, that's part of the process of going from being a team who finished eighth, and that's worth remembering from our perspective now, who finished eighth a, a couple of times a couple of seasons ago to one that's more than just challenging for the title. But you need to acknowledge that there was like a kind of psychological element to that collapse. It, didn't, it, wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't just because they were tired. It was because they hit a kind of emotional and psychological wall and 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 fell away at the first sign of trouble but that's that's what happens to a young team I, I, it's that word bottle it's obviously very like evocative very uh it's a pejorative term it's a loaded term uh but they, they bottled it it's fine and maybe they won't bottle it next time it puts them in a better position to not bottle it next time but they bottled it the listeners can't see that on the screen in front of me he he doesn't appear i've got the, just those of us who are um, you know, participating. But our producer, who happens to be an Arsenal supporter, of course, I can't get away from them. Um, he put up an emoji there laughing at you, but of course, it's the one with the tears. It could just as well be just as well be read as two large tears running down his face there. Penultimate section. Um, the most Spursy moment. Um, it's um, Charlie's turn to go first. This has to be, doesn't it? The... 3-0 down at Anfield, wrestle it back to 3-3. Richarlison's doing his funny dance. And then basically from kickoff to concede from Lucas Moura just giving the ball to Diego Jota. That, for me, was standout. It, it was, I mean, you're right. James is holding his, his head in his hands there. Uh, again, I, 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 I want to make jokes about it, but I can't. That was another one. Bourne was worse, in my opinion. Um, but that was a shocking, and you're choosing to call it Spursy moment. For me, it was the winning goal that um, Seville got against Juventus in the semi-final of the Europa League. Um, those of you who remember, it was a cross by Brian Hill to the head of Eric Lamella. If you remember that the brilliant Spurs plan was to give Seville 
Um, a load of cash and Eric Lamella for Brian Heal. Um, now, Seville are in the final of a European championship or a European trophy. They've got Lamella and Brian Hill and the load of cash. They've got them all. And if that isn't Spursy, then I just don't know what is. Certainly Spursy over the last three years. Um, so watching that happen, I was thrilled for both players. Um, but as a part of me, just, 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 you just sit there and your, head, your chin falls to your chest and your head just goes from side to side ever so slowly. James, what have you got as your... Um, uh, as your Spursy moment of the year. Charlie mentioned Richarlison's goal and celebration at Anfield, but I would probably go with the three times he celebrated having not That scored. is so brilliant. Including I, getting booked for one, didn't he? Yeah, but I think that guy overturned. Did that guy overturned? No, it didn't. It didn't. There was a lot what? of discussion what at that time, but it, it that still is. counted. Rem- who, who were the three? So there was Ful- Fulham was the first one, and obviously there was the Forest one more recently, but there's one in between. Was there not another one in between? I think there was, but those were proper ones where you do the whole celebration and everything, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they go back for the for the VAR. There was, I'm sure, there was another one early in the season, not long after Fulham. It must have been a Premier League game, I guess. Which takes us finally to Jack and your Spurs moment or Spursy moment of the season. Uh, I think it's got to be. Tottenham wheeling out Fabio Paratici for a grainy video on their website on a Tuesday evening. And then the Wednesday morning, FIFA announced that <laughs> Paratici's ban from Italian football has been extended all around the world, which Tottenham were not expecting at all. And the uh, the video of Paratici actually, <laughs> for, uh, for a few hours on Wednesday morning, it was still there. It was still there on the website. It was and still the like club front channels. and centre, wasn't it, on the homepage? It was still the main story for ages afterwards. As, t- as Tottenham kind of figured out what was going on. Um, well, they, let's be fair. The worst moments, the Spursy moments, the funny moments, they were all car crash moments of what has been an absolutely car crash season. There's no point in hiding behind that. Um, the final question, because as you know, and he revealed there, James gave up going to Spurs. Um, I don't blame him um, when the crisis was in full swing and instead went to Kingstonian, his beloved Kingstonian. So very quickly, I'll ask you all for your Kingstonian player of the season. I'm going for Kieran Cadogan because he's the only one with a... That's ab- that's nonsense. He's the only one with an Irish name. Have you got one, Jack? You you like non-league football? Yeah, Matt Drage. That's not bad. Drage was good when he came. He came Drage. back. He was a big part of uh, the relegation survival success. Drage. So that's not that's a, that's a pretty good shout from Jack. Charlie. You're you're a busy man. Have you bothered to pick out one of their players? Yeah, I went for I went for the twelfth player. The fans, <laughs> oh, James dear. Moore et al. <laughs> they, no, I'm sorry. They couldn't have done it without them. And uh, really I don't true. think the K's fans get the uh, the credit. So they that's, the, that's the tra- that's the so, traditional twelfth yeah. man. Had there been times, James, when there were only twelve people there? <laughs> there was only about twelve people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell us the truth. Who has been Kingstonian's Player of the Year? I would go for Darnell. Go to Braithwaite, who like who like Dragey, uh came in towards the end of the season as they kind of picked up form. I'd say K's and Spurs were kind of the opposite. Like Spurs obviously started very well and completely collapsed at the end. And Kays were pretty terrible for most of the season, and then kicked up at the end and stayed up. So maybe that's a maybe that's a <laughs> a little insight into what we've got coming for Spurs next season. Well, uh, let's hope that the, the idea that you could finish eighth and then challenge for the title is a more um, realistic reflection of what we can hope for next season. I wouldn't put my money or my house on that. What I would say is obviously thank you all for the last well nine ten months of the season here on the View from the Lane. Um, thank you to Jack Pitt Brook. I'm getting the names right again. Thank you to Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you to James Moore and Tim Spears as well, who uh, is a big part of what we've done this season. 
I want to thank you all for listening to us in ever-increasing numbers, and I mean it. Um, it would be a bit sad if grown men were just kind of foghorning this stuff out into an empty void. So we're so glad that you're out there listening. Those of you who took the trouble to vote for us, so we won that award as the best single club podcast in the world. I, I mean, I, I can't do it, um, but I would love to go round house to house to house and give you all a kiss um, and a bar of chocolate. Thank you very, very much indeed for that. Um, it's been a tumultuous season for Spurs, which of course has in some ways helped the podcast. What I hope for next season is for your continued loyalty to the podcast, to see these three again, and that we have some calmer waters, which we're still trying to find a way and make entertaining and engaging for you. But um, I don't want to be reporting for a second season running or, or literally standing outside a burning building going, oh, it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. So once again, thank you to everybody who can see me on these screens and who listen to our voices over the past few months. I would remind you again that one of the great bargains in sports journalism is the Athletic subscription. And if you're not already a subscriber, you should sign up now. Then you can read all of the incredible Spurs coverage as well as everything else that's on the site. It's a vast cornucopia of wonderment. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for $1.99 a month. That's 50 pence a week, people, um, for the first 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next season. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. The Athletic.